Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Bliwa Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail, and this is uh, a Friday, which means we get into the hard economics news um, of the week. And uh, for this week, I don't think anything in the economy is bigger than the fact that uh, we had some new inflation numbers that came out just the other day. And, you know, for the first time in a while, um, we see that uh, inflation number actually breaching the three to six percent number that uh, you know the South African bank has been working um, you know for a long time to actually um, you know evade and we're just going to be discussing what does that mean and also at the same time what are some of the interventions that are available um, right now to the South African Reserve Bank to the South African government to the economy to businesses uh, to everyone Uh, I think just before we started we're talking about how hard it is to be a consumer right now and uh, all of it um, is you know being highlighted uh, by these numbers and to help us to unpack what's actually going on and uh, to actually feed into the discussion we are joined uh, by Jeffrey Schultz who is a senior economist over at BNP Paribas South Africa uh, Jeff how are you today good thanks and you Madiba. Um, before we get, you know, too far down the line, you know, uh, breaching the 6%, is it really that deep? Look, I think it's, uh, you know, one, one inflation print doesn't make a trend, but I do think that uh, at the end of the day, the central bank has to be forward looking in terms of its expectations um, of where inflation is going. And what our numbers are telling us is that you know, six and a half is not yet the peak. We are yet to see the peak in inflation in South Africa. We're probably going to hit a peak of above seven and a half, bordering on 8% uh, over the next couple of months. And that is a very concerning element for the central bank with its primary mandate as an inflation targeter. Yeah, that's actually it's actually quite scary when you when you put it that way. You know that by your own numbers, um, you, we do see uh, something like that happening. I remember a couple of months ago, we this is around the time when oil uh, was touching hundred fifty dollars a barrel. You know, people playing around with uh, you know could uh, the price of fuel reach forty rand at the time? It was just under twenty, and I remember talking to one of the banks and their model said um, that more realistically we should be in the uh, 24 to 27 range Um, and right now where are we we are in the 24 to 27 range Uh, so I've learned not to take these uh, you know these models uh, that uh, you know the likes of the banks and yourselves uh, are putting together so what does that actually mean on the ground because obviously um, inflation is not monolithic Uh, there'll be certain things you know that will likely be uh, pushing us forward. Do you anticipate that um, oil will continue being that cost driver or uh, do you see other factors uh, in the economy? Yes, I mean, I think it's important to note that a lot of the drivers behind the higher inflation rates in South Africa right now are largely out of the central bank's um, control. So, uh, you know, you've got international oil prices that are largely being driven through the war in Russia, Ukraine. Uh, but also through very tight oil markets where uh, you've got a combination of still relatively robust levels of of global demand um, coupled with very crimped supply. So it's this lack of supply 
still robust demand that is really driving up oil prices uh, was driven up oil prices. Um, uh, and so, you know, our view as a bank is that we're probably going to see oil prices uh, settle in a range between 120 and 125 dollars a barrel. Um, but again, I think there are a lot of risks here to the oil price related to the outlook for global growth. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, of course, the uh, the longevity of the of the war in Ukraine uh, that can also have an impact on uh, on oil prices in either direction, depending on an escalation or a de-escalation. Um, but you know, it's not only oil prices; food prices as well, unfortunately, are also seeing a very similar type of dynamics, where supply is being crimped because of the war in Ukraine. Um, uh, agricultural uh, markets globally are are shooting through the roof in terms of uh, in terms of price levels. Uh, and we're seeing that, for instance, in the latest inflation print in South Africa, where a lot of the big upside surprise that we saw in that six and a half percent print was driven by foodstuffs inflation. Um, so, you know, food and fuel are definitely a major driver or contributing factor behind why we see a much more sustained breach of the upper six percent inflation target range. But I think our concern more generally is that for the for as long as these price pressures persist in food and fuel prices that really hit the poor um, you know, the hardest, because that's where the bulk of, of SA consumers are spending most of their disposable income. But for as long as that persists, it starts to filter through into what we call second round effects into inflation. And that's where we, where we look at core inflation, elements that exclude food and fuel prices and energy prices. Uh, and that really is driven through things like the level of wage settlements in the economy, um, the level of rental prices, uh, all of those types of things. And, you know, for as long as these types of very elevated price pressures persist in food and fuel, it can start to filter through into higher wage expectations, into higher rental expectations, and ultimately higher core inflation. And that is what the central bank has to act to try and crimp. You know, it's a very interesting thing that happens um, in the economy because I like the fact that, um, you know, in terms of your second round effects, you're talking about things like uh, wage growth. Um, I think there was a company I was analyzing just the other day and they had just set a 4% you know, increase across the board for all of the, all their employees. Uh, but I think those that's more of uh, an outlier in this economy because, you know, the majority of people aren't getting um, increases. 4% is below the inflation uh, currently, uh, but a lot of people aren't even getting that. Um, so it, it's, it's a very interesting thing because, um, you know, sometimes one of the definitions of... Um, Inflation is where you have uh, what you call this too much money uh, chasing too few goods. And one wonders, where is this money? If people, <laughs> if people, um, if people, uh, if wages have, you know, largely remained the same. And I think, uh, like you said, the fact that so many of these factors are exogenous, um, firstly to the, the South African Reserve Bank and to South Africa, it just leaves, um, us in such a, you know, in such a tough spot. Um, from what you can see, do you see things like your wage growth, uh, moving, you know, in any way or um do we anticipate that you know businesses will continue to cry uh, foul of you know their higher input costs etc 
So we are actually starting to see some evidence of wage price pressure in the economy. <clears throat> if you look at the mining industry, which maybe is a is an industry that is almost on its own in South Africa right now because of high commodity prices that have boosted a lot of miners' earnings, and so they are in a position to be able to maybe deliver higher levels of wage uh, of wage increases to their to their employees. But I mean, the average level of wage settlement in the mining industry right now, anecdotally, is between six uh, six and seven percent. Uh, in nominal terms. Um, in the service sector, I think that's a different side of the economy. And the services sector is sort of more than 50% of, uh, of in terms of the makeup of SA's GDP. Um, services sector, I think, has lagged. And as you say, I don't think everyone is is, is getting a 6 or, or 7% wage increase. But that being said, I think there's a point at which you know, these persistent price pressures do start to filter through into the level of wage demand that starts to creep up towards that six or 7% level that I would argue the central bank is going to be quite uncomfortable with. So already we're seeing public servants, for instance, that are demanding 10% wage increases. We're seeing uh, a strike uh, or at least um, uh, industrial action at ESCOM this week uh, with, with unions demanding 12% increases. Um, and you know, employers only really able to to offer something around that four uh, to five percent mark. Um, so you know, it's going to be a really interesting what we call strike season in South Africa, the winter of our discontent, we like to call it. Um, where you know, in generally from July through to the end of August is when all of these wage settlements are taking place. So far, what we can what I can tell you is that anecdotally, we are seeing. A level of wage settlement that is higher from what we've seen over the past two years, and the past two years is maybe not the greatest um, is not the greatest uh, example of where wage growth is likely to settle because we've had very exogenous shocks, be it through COVID, uh, massive amounts of employment uh, being shed in the economy. Um, we've now got an economy that's back up at pre-pandemic levels of GDP. The first quarter GDP numbers are showing that the economy is actually doing a little bit better than what most anticipated. And so that might start to almost self-fulfill itself into uh, a higher level of wage demand in the economy. And I think this is probably a big concern for the central bank right now. And I'm sure that they're all, you know, scratching their heads just around, you know, how they're going to be able to fix this. Uh, but before we come to um, the central bank, I just want to touch on, you know, something that you said just now uh, about, uh, you know, where the wages are growing, uh, because it's an interesting, it's a bit of a quandary. You know, that we, that, uh, you know, companies, that consumers, that general workers, you know, uh, do find themselves in, um, where, despite everything that's going on, there's almost an expectation that the economy should be back, you know, to where it, it where it was. Um, but all of that is coming at the cost of, I guess, higher input costs for everyone. So I, let's say, let's say I'm a miner or something, right? Whatever I was earning, um, even if it has gone up, um, I'm now spending more. So the net of <laughs> of my salary that it, it then becomes uh, a bit tough to you know to understand whether people are really gaining from you know the first quarter uh, numbers that you that you spoke just now and i was actually just going to ask how much of you know the great numbers that we saw coming out uh, about that first quarter how much is of that do you think is genuine um us coming back online in terms of the economy versus 
um, I guess the inflationary effect that sort of pushes up some of the nominal numbers? Yeah, look, I think the first quarter, I, one thing to say, I think, in, in growth numbers, not just in South Africa, but globally right now, is that there's still a hang of a lot of noise in the data, be it through exogenous shocks with the, with the war in, in Ukraine, uh, be it through um, higher shocks to inflation and gas prices in Europe. Uh, in South Africa's case, we had uh, a, a very idiosyncratic shock last year with regards to the July riots, uh, which shaved a, you know, significant, knocked a significant proportion of growth, um, off in the third quarter of last year. Um, and so I think a lot of the first quarter numbers, maybe we, we would argue is maybe a bit of a catch up, uh, in terms of inventory rebuilding, in terms of gross domestic fixed investment. Uh, from the July riots, for instance. So, you know, uh, there was a big upside surprise, for instance, in fixed investment. Now, on the face of it, that looks really good because that's something that South Africa has really struggled to attract over the last couple of, uh, over the last 10 years is, is really a, an adequate uh, growth in, in gross domestic fixed investment. This sparked, um, you know, double digits on a quarter on quarter annualized basis in, uh, in the first quarter. Now, we would say, you know, that's good, but we need, also need to maybe treat the numbers with a little bit more caution because there's an element of catch up here. It's inventory rebuilding. It's potentially capital being redeployed uh, that was perhaps damaged or destroyed in the July riots last year. So it's not to say that the momentum is necessarily going to keep up. And in fact, if you look to second quarter numbers uh, already, we are anticipating that we might even see a, a small negative uh, quarter on quarter growth print in the second quarter because of flooding, uh, because of um, consumer pressures, be it through higher inflation, higher interest rates, etc. Yeah, one of the one of the best things about engaging with people that are clearly you know smarter than I is that you learn you know some of these things along the way, and you so you see you begin to appreciate that. And as uh, Jeff is talking, I'm just thinking about the fact that. Um, you know, the rebuild factor that you that you speak about just now to say that you we had losses, you know, that came out from the from those riots last year. But now, you know, as all those companies are trying to rebuild, you know, that is an element of, you know, uh, quote unquote, new spending in the economy. But how new is it if you're basically replacing uh, what was, you know, what was lost um, at the time? And that that then you know leads nicely to you know where we're going now you already spoken about um you know wage uh, negotiations in the coming months uh because now one then thinks about the fact that uh as co i'm thinking about it from you know the consumer and the company side because as consumers you're fighting to just keep a healthy balance in your pocket as a company you're fighting to keep your healthy margins right uh things are ticking up but uh at some point like you said the noise right how do we strip out you know the noise you know is a company really making that much more profit or is it just a factor of people paying more because there's now you know all of this stuff that's going on yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, that's where things like base effects, for instance, um, play, play a role in statistics and how you look at figures. You know, South Africa has only just got back to pre-pandemic levels of GDP activity. Um, yes, that's a good thing. But if you look at the average emerging market, uh, they achieved uh, back to pre-pandemic levels of GDP activity 
by you know the end of twenty by by the, by the end of um, uh, twenty twenty in some instances or the first half of twenty twenty one. So we you know we're still way behind in terms of where we need to get to, um, and po- so part of it is a bit of a catch up. The other part of it, uh, and I think this really relates to how you strip out the noise, is really looking at you know what are the what are the drivers of economic activity right now. Well, we would argue it's commodity prices that are certainly helping to prop up our export sector. Um, but uh, outside of that, and, and maybe there's a bit of consumer resilience because up to now inflation has been relatively well behaved. Interest rates have remained quite low, and that's helped prop up the consumer through. And also, the government has has pushed through uh, employment tax incentives, um, uh, presidential employment initiatives, uh, the social relief of distress grants. So all of that has helped, I suppose, the consumer tick along up to this point. Um, but we've got to remember that we also have a very weak structural footing in this economy. We're in the in the bulk of stage four load shedding uh, that, that's, that's just been announced by ESCOM today. This is going to be a reality for the South African consumer, for the South African business for the next 12, 18, 24 months, we believe. Um, and if anything, the next six to 12 months, things probably are going to get worse before hopefully getting better. So, you know, right now, short-term potential growth in this economy, we estimate, is probably only around the 1% level. So if you strip out the noise of base effects, of commodity prices, of, um, uh, you know, I, I guess some short-term relief for consumers, um, the, the, the underlying trajectory of growth in this economy is still, unfortunately, very, very weak. So, you know, when we're looking at all of that, I want to just move to, you know, the interventions, uh, because um, around the world, not only in South Africa, but around the world, people are looking to governments, um, you know, to try and aid uh, consumers and businesses in some way. Um, And uh, people tend to do this in different ways. So just looking first at the central bank, that's where we began this conversation. Um, And a lot of people tend to look at central banks when it comes to to um, inflation, where do we, where do you see things going? I remember reading uh, something that uh, that I think you wrote um, about two weeks ago, if I remember correctly. And at the time, you were uh, what's it called? You were saying that you expected the sub to maintain a fifty basis points uh, pace of hikes. Uh, for its na- for its uh, three remaining meetings in 2022, as inflation actually proves more persistent alongside a smaller output gap, do you still hold you know that uh, same opinion, or have these week's numbers has they has it changed your position in any way? Yeah, so so look, I mean, two weeks is a is a long time in in politics, but it's also a long time in economics, with um, <laughs> So things have changed a little bit on 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 in terms of our our baseline call. Um, I think not only the the CPI print that came out this week above expectations, but I think more generally what we are seeing in terms of the average level of wage settlement, uh, a, a a a central bank that I think is probably going to have to take note of the fact that. The U.S. Federal Reserve raised, raised interest rates by 75 basis points uh, earlier this month um, means that this is a central bank that probably has to do more uh, than even what we had anticipated uh, two weeks ago. So we now believe that 75 basis point hike is probably possible in both the July and the September meetings out of the Saab. 
And I think a lot of the reason behind that is, is because of the output gap argument. South Africa's growth is looking a little bit better than what the, what the Saab had initially anticipated. We are back at pre-pandemic levels of activity earlier, much earlier than what most had anticipated, including the central bank. But inflation is proving much more problematic. And as I say, we're probably going to get close on 8% inflation over the next couple of months. And that is going to be very uncomfortable for the central bank. And add to that uh, a global monetary policy environment, which is seeing the federal, the US Federal Reserve probably continue to raise by 75 basis points next month. The ECB is probably going to raise rates uh, um, next month and then pick up the pace to around 50 basis points in September. Uh, and again, I would say there's upside risks to all of this. We've seen a number of EM central banks also continuing to raise interest rates. So global monetary tightening conditions are getting worse. Uh, and so that leaves, um, that leaves the central bank, I think, in a very tricky position where it needs to consider financial stability risks, be it through the currency, et cetera. So that's really our argument is why we think the central bank probably needs to get policy rates back up to pre-COVID levels as quickly as possible so that it, it does a lot a lot now so that it doesn't have to do as much later. And I think that's really uh, the type of thinking that's probably going to start coming onto the NPC um, uh, over the next couple of meetings. Yeah, that that's an interesting debate, you know, and it will be it will be once again interesting to see how uh, the monetary policy committee actually responds, you know, to something like that. Because when you look at uh, the hiking um, or lack thereof of hiking in the U.S., um, the seventy five uh, the seventy five percent seventy five basis points hike um, last week is not. I won't say it's not a surprise, but it came as a shock uh, for a lot of people. But it was literally expected. Uh, you know, I think Mr. Powell and his team had tried by all means, you know, to keep uh, these interest rates as low as they could. But at some point, you just something just has to give. Uh, so I certainly agree with you that, you know, probably getting us, you know, hiking, you know, quickly to be an initial shock. Uh, but you know, at least you know you take them. You what you call this? Uh, the medicine is bitter at first, uh, but you'll be grateful for it. Uh, you know later on. Um, the other side of uh, you know the policy discussion when it comes to government is how much room you know do you think they still have um you know to do what they do and the reason i'm asking is because uh we've seen them you know taking on quite a bit of strain over the last uh, two years um you mentioned earlier on uh, you know uh, the social relief that they were giving out um at the same time now um them you know coming on to subsidize fuel you know for for that two months uh and then even more calls now for them to do more uh just as I remember when Minister Gondongwana came in, he was celebrating commodity prices, mining, we've got this extra cash, but now it just seems everything is just, uh, you know, dwindling because you're trying to support businesses and consumers. How much wiggle room do you, do you think or anticipate that they have? Yeah, so I, again, I think there's no, there's no easy answer here for any policymaker, but I think fiscal policy has probably got a little bit more breathing room here, um, but not a lot. Um, so let me, let me maybe just clarify what I mean by that. So of course, you know, I think the treasury has, has been quite conservative in its expectations that commodity prices weren't going to remain as robust for as long. And so they've, they've underestimated the extent of, of revenue upside potential. Um, and so 
come the October medium term budget later this year, we think that there's probably 100 to 115 billion rands worth of revenue upside potential relative to what was penciled in to the February national budget. Now, the Treasury has indicated that they would use around 50% of any revenue upside potential to continue to pay down the deficit faster. So that's really good news. The other 50% could conceivably be used for budgetary purposes, be it through socioeconomic relief measures, etc. So it's not out of the question that we could start, to, you know, if food prices start to become more problematic, which I think is a very real risk, if fuel prices continue to remain very elevated, you know, you look at the current under recovery in the domestic fuel price for next month, even with uh, the fuel price reduction of 70, uh, fuel price levy reduction of 75 cents, which kicks in next month. Um, we're still looking at probably a one rand 90 to two rand a liter increase, um, for, for domestic fuel prices. Um, so, you know, it's not out of the question that the treasury, um, and the government are in a position to maybe continue to deliver a little bit of additional relief to the, to the SA consumer, um, in these types of very extraordinary conditions. Uh, but there's a limit because at the end of the day, we still have a country that we don't have debt stabilization. Um, quite simply, uh, the cost that we, or the, at least the, um, the, the, the interest rates that we are paying on our debt service costs far outstrip, uh, our nominal GDP growth. And that means that in the absence of, uh, bringing your, your primary balance, so excluding debt service costs into, um, uh, revenue less non-interest expenditure. If you bring that into surplus as quickly as possible, if you, if, you know, that's, that's good, but we're in a position where that maybe we're not in a position to be able to do that because of these socioeconomic measures. And as a result, it's going to be very difficult for the, for the, for the fiscus to be able to stabilize debt over the medium term. So there's a limit as to how much the government can do. Commodity prices are helping right now, but it's certainly not, uh, it's certainly not going to last forever. So there is some room, but not a lot. Mm, some room, but not a lot. And I think that's, you know, probably going to be the theme, um, you know, for the rest of the year. You you give a concession here, but um, somewhere down the line, you need to recoup. Uh, you need to come back because it's an economy. You take away from one end and you just hold it steady for now. But at some point, you have to let go and, you know, let things, um, you know, let things happen. As we come to the end of the discussion, Jeff, uh, just your thoughts, because... Uh, I wanted to maybe zoom out to look at maybe the bigger picture. Um, around the world, in some economic circles, people are talking about stagflation, um, you know, because you have rising inflation and interest rates all at the same time. And it's not unique to South Africa. Um, but do you think um, the period that we're in is uh, maybe making people rethink globalization in any way uh, simply because um, so many things are so intertwined right now right uh, high fuel prices is not it, it's something everyone is experiencing high fuel prices it's not look over there in australia there's high fuel prices literally every single person around the world is experiencing this thing because we and we're all pointing to the same thing oh look uh, Russia, Ukraine, um, supply chains, you know, all of this stuff. Do you think uh, maybe the last two years, whether it's COVID, whether it's the war, all of these things are working in any way to maybe get people to rethink um, globalization? 
Look, I think it's a great question. And I think um, I would argue that even before COVID, the globalization narrative was being tested. It started with Brexit, then US-China trade relations, um, then COVID, now the Russia-Ukraine war. So if anything, I think what we, what this whole situation, um, or at least the, the global experience over the past two to three, four years, um, is really probably exacerbating these this push towards uh, not necessarily anti-globalization, but what I would say maybe nearshoring. So a lot of large economies saying, look, I don't want to be in a position where I'm solely reliant on Russian gas. Uh, I don't want to be a, you know solely reliant on um, Ukrainian um, wheat or, or, or fertilizers. So I'm going to I'm going to bring that capacity onshore. Um, and so I think this is probably the direction that we are moving in um, globally. And that comes at a cost because, you know, putting in new supply chains, putting in new linkages, um, developing new industries is, is costly. Um, and so and you only have to look at the renewable energy industry globally. Um, the, the cost of transitioning away from dirty energy to clean energy is going to come at somewhat of an inflationary cost for the global economy. Um, and so, you know, nearshoring for sure, I think is probably something that we're going to see a lot more of. And that probably does raise the risk of a more prolonged stagflationary type environment where we have low levels of GDP growth, or at least below trend levels of GDP growth globally, coupled with above trend levels of inflation. So that's been it. We were talking to Jeffrey Schultz, who is a senior economist over at BMP Paribas South Africa, giving us some insight into this week's um, inflation numbers uh, that came out higher than expected at 6.5%, uh, breaching that 3 to 6% uh, level um, that the South African Reserve Bank has been working to keep inflation in uh, for a number of years now, just debating um, whether or not um, they will, how much they will be hiking those interest rates by um, in the coming few months because it is inevitable uh, that we will be seeing these increases, especially um, after these inflation numbers and uh, the huge interest rate hike that we saw um, over in the U.S. Um, Jeffrey says that uh, you know two weeks uh, t- is is now a long time uh, in the economy. We used to save uh, statements like that for technology back in the day, uh, but now with the way that the economy is moving. Um, things can things are just going in somersaults, and uh, you know where they expected fifty basis points hikes uh, for the next uh, coming uh, MPC meetings. They're now expecting seventy five basis points uh, hikes in the coming um, in the coming months, which sort of shows you where we are in the economy. So, Jeffrey, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Madiwe. Great to be on the show. This is Madiwe's take. Another fascinating discussion there, and especially off the back of what's going on uh, in terms of inflation and interest rates. One of the things that you know one has to think about when it comes to all of these things is the fact that um, for the last couple of decades um, in the global economy, as much as globalization um, has shrunk the world, there has tended to be a 
different experience um, of economics, you know, depending on what part of the world uh, you're in, right? Um, but the last couple of years, particularly, you know, around COVID and now what we're feeling um, in terms of all of this inflation, etc., is that you see um, similar economic factors affecting people um, around the world, right? Uh, when it came to COVID-19, it's not just like, let's say, one little region of the world that went into lockdown. Everyone around the world went into lockdown. Everyone had the same stories, you know, just around um, issues of being indoors and, you know, wanting to go outside, uh, being on uh, video conferencing, um, ordering food, you know, all of those things, right? It was a similar experience, um, you know, around the world. Maybe not exactly the same, but similar. And now we find ourselves in another situation. High fuel prices, everyone is experiencing this thing. And in terms of um, just maybe the rethinking the globalization factor, um, I really do think that um, in in economics we talk about comparative advantage. You know, just the fact that you know some countries uh, do certain things better, uh, other countries are endowed with the different resources to others, right? Um, so in terms of taking advantage of that. Um, I anticipate, maybe anticipate is, uh, you know, too big of a word, but one way of doing things is instead of having, you know, these big, these big producers, um, where you have one or two big producers around the world, um, it might be better that we see more regional, um, expertise, you know, coming through. So, for example, when it comes to where we are right now in Southern Africa, you know, you have, you know, different hubs um, for certain goods, you know, because uh, we're close to Angola, that can be your oil supplier, you're close to South Africa, it gives, it's giving you the commodities like your gold, like your platinum, um, etc. And, uh, you know, the different countries can uh, contribute to your agriculture, um, as opposed to, um, you know, trying to bring everything into a country to be great, uh, but um, it will largely, it, it might become a bit um, inefficient. So maybe having more regionalized hubs uh, for certain goods and services might be a more workable um, situation going forward. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.